dive straight in. This is, uh, this is Johnny, Johnny Farrell. Uh, Johnny works for Youth for Christ and runs the centre in Ballyclare. Uh, Johnny and I were on the same team together uh, nearly this year ago, nearly a year ago. Today we're in Ethiopia uh, with Stand By Me when we visited Bokaji. And uh, just delighted that you're here with your lovely wife, Laura, who is with child. And, um, and just go for it. Cool. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. How's it going? It's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning. As we kind of get closer and closer to Easter and as people are either getting off work or, or really excited about getting off work, um, I suppose as, as we make that journey towards Easter, we constantly have this thought in our minds about the cost that it was to Jesus to, to bring us life, to bring us freedom. And I suppose as we prepare for Easter Sunday this day next week, I want us to think about the cost that it is for us to follow Jesus. That's what I want us to think a little bit about this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. If you have a Bible or an iPad or an iPhone or anything and that you can get the Bible on, then Luke chapter 9. And we're just going to go through five or six verses and just unpack some of, of what Jesus says to us is the cost for us in following him. So Luke chapter 9 and starting at verse 51. It says this, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there didn't welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked, this is great pastoral care, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. This is kind of the turning point in, in the gospel, certainly in Luke's gospel, because up until this point in time, Jesus has been doing a lot of his ministry in, in small towns and villages. It's been 10s, 20s, 30s, 50s, maybe tops 100 people. And he's been traveling around these smaller groups, and yet he knows that if you want to change the world, you've got to transform the city. He knows that his movements have got to take him from town to town, from village to village, to the city, and then ultimately, as we think about next week, to the cross. And so Jesus, we're told, resolutely, or, or if you're reading the ESV or, or a translation like that, says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. This is the point where Jesus goes, now I've got to go to the city. And he knew that by going to the city, there were going to be so many different mindsets. There was going to be so much more conflict around what he was saying and doing. And ultimately, that was going to lead to his death on the cross. And so as he's traveling along, Jesus obviously has a, a big group of followers that travel with him. And there's this huge group of people that, that move along. And so what Jesus did was he kind of sent people on ahead into the towns, into the villages. Because whenever you have 50, 60 people turning up to a town or a village that maybe has 100 people that live in it, you've got to figure out, well, where are people going to sleep? Have they got enough food for us to stay there? And so Jesus would constantly have these groups of people going ahead, checking to make sure, are things ready? Can, can you cater for this sort of size of a group turning up? And as Jesus does that, he sends this one particular group out, and they go into a village, and it's a Samaritan village, and there's this huge conflict that we find in the scriptures whenever we read about Samaritans and we read about the Israelites. And whenever they hear that Jesus is coming, they've no problem putting him up. They've space and they've rooms and they've food, but the issue is that he is going to go to Jerusalem. They're not happy because he's not going to stay around and affirm what they believe. 
his face is set for somewhere more. And what they want is they want Jesus to kind of fit into a box. They want it to be neat and tidy. They want him to come in and to support what they're doing. About two years ago, I probably experienced the most pronounced version of this sort of mindset imaginable. Uh, me and Laura, we were over in the States. Uh, as part of that, we were in New York. Um, we kind of were walking around. It was a Saturday night in New York, and if you've ever been there, it just, it never gets dark in Times Square. And there were just more and more people who were coming out and standing in the street, and they were coming, and there were various people came. Some people just held placards. Some people were talking. Some people were arguing. And, and then we came across this particular group of people. Now, I'm not going to lie. The main reason why I was drawn to them was because they were using the word Jesus and they looked like ninjas, okay? That was the main thing that attracted me to them. And all I could think was, I need to get closer to these guys, mainly to find out, where do I get an outfit for things like that? You know, whenever I go to Carrick Vineyard, where do I get the WWF belt from that, that these guys clearly have? And, and as we got closer, we kind of realized that there was a bit of an argument going on, okay? I need to, to just briefly explain the roles of each of the people in this. The guy on the right-hand side of the screen, he is the preacher, okay? He is the guy, I use preacher very loosely, he's the guy who has a very loud voice and shouts at people, okay? He was the preacher. The guy in the middle, the slightly older um, looking guy, he was the Bible reader, okay? And the guy on the left, we're not sure, we think he just found a costume and turned up. Okay, because he looks like he's just kind of joined in on the side. And what would happen was this guy on the left, he would say lots of stuff and, and argue his point and, and not really allow people time to speak. And every time someone threw something up that, that he didn't agree with, he would say to the Bible reader, he would be like, Paul, you need to get this sorted for here. He would say, look up Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And the guy would be like... Phew flying through the Bible, and he had this amazing, like just a voice you could listen to all day, but your ears would be ringing afterwards. And this guy would just be like, the Bible says in Romans 12, verse 1, and he would just bellow out the scriptures. And as we arrived, we kind of heard the words Jesus, and we heard all of this conversation. We realized quite quickly that there was an argument going on. And these guys, their belief was that you could only possibly be a Christian if you had a particular color of skin. That was their view. That was their belief. And the more and more that I listened to this, the more and more it just struck me as, as being really strange. And the atmosphere was so hostile and, and you were just kind of drawn to it like a fly to one of those buzzer things in the restaurant. You just couldn't help take your eyes off it. And as it happened more and more, they, they said more and more things, and they, they kind of took bits of the, of the Bible, and they twisted it, and so they picked up on the whole Jacob-Esau thing, and they picked up on the verse in Romans 9 where it says, Jacob have I loved, but Esau I hated. And then they jump back to Esau, and they go, well, whenever Esau was born, he had white skin and red hair. <laughs> and I'm standing there going, uh-oh. <laughs> This has just got personal. <laughs> Luckily at this point, another guy walked in who was equally as hairy as I was, and the guy turned around to him and he was like, here's Esau now. And I was like, I'm so glad that wasn't me getting pointed out. But this went on and, and on and on, and the more I heard it and the more that I heard the tone that things were being said, and I just couldn't help but think, someone should say something here. There's, there's common sense verses that we all know, John 3, 16, that just instantly cancel out their argument. And it was just as I was thinking that, that I heard this voice shout, read John 3, 16. And for some reason in my head, I went, I kind of recognize that voice. And I turned and looked at Laura, and she was looking at me, and I could just see clean fear over her eyes. And at that point, I realized I recognize that voice, because that's a Northern Irish accent. More to the point, that's 
my voice that's just said that, and I was now entering into a one-on-one with these ninjas in the middle of Times Square. At this stage, there's a slightly larger group that have assembled to see Esau against the ninjas. And at this point, I'm kind of going, okay, in for a penny, in for a pound, let's go for it. So I just said again, read John 3.16. And he turned around and said the greatest words that have ever been said to me in the street. He said, what's that, caveman? And I was just like... That doesn't even insult me. I'm from Northern Ireland. I'll take that. And I said to him, read John 3, 16. And he said, what, you mean the white man's Bible verse? I said, no, the words of Jesus, who you claim to follow. And he started to read it. Well, the other guy started to read it through the Bible. The Bible says in John 3, 16, for God's love the world. And he started to go through it. And all I had in my head was this thought. As soon as he gets the end of this verse, he's just going to twist that and move on. And I don't know why, but I kind of came over all American. This is not me, okay, just so you know. Whenever he got to the words that whosoever believeth in him, I just started chanting the word whosoever over and over again, okay? I do not know why. I've watched too much American TV or something. But I just started chanting whosoever, whosoever. And I was just saying, I'm just not even going to let you get a word in because this is just going to wind you up for the kingdom of God. And I, I just couldn't help but do that. And And around me then, I kind of realized that there were all these people, and these people were starting to applaud, uh, and the situation was getting more and more weird as it went along. And in the midst of it, I caught the eye of this guy who was wearing like one of those trucker sort of hats, and it just had eye and then heart shape and then Jesus written underneath it. And I kid you not, he was definitely on something, okay? It wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was something that was altering his mind in different ways. And he looked me in the eye, and he he caught my eye, and and he kind of looked at me, and I looked at him. We caught a gaze across this really weird situation, and he just went, hey, I love Jesus. (laughs) I went, you know what? I reckon you probably do. I was like, because for me, that's why Jesus came, not to fit into our boxes, not to support our causes, not to justify our view or our, our world viewpoint. Jesus doesn't support our cause. And that's what frustrated me so much. Was these guys were taking the words of Jesus and they were going, this is how I view the world and I want Jesus to just fit neatly into this. And that's what the Samaritans in this passage in Luke 9 wanted. They wanted Jesus to just slot in, to fit into their life, to support what they felt was true. And yet whenever I read the scriptures, when I read the gospels, I read about a Jesus who says, actually, you should support my causes. Your life is to be all about the kingdom of God. And so this morning, I want us to look just briefly at three people who encounter Jesus. They encounter him on this journey towards the cross, and and each of them are kind of called into this journey, and there's different things that Jesus says to them. So let's pick up uh, Luke 9 and verse 57. It says this, says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And so here we have this guy who turns up and he's, he's probably heard what's happened. He's probably seen a little bit of, of Jesus' ministry and he turns up and he goes, this is something that I want to be a part of. What a great response to Jesus. I want to be part of this. And Jesus turns around and he goes, that's great. I love that you want to be part of this, but I want you to realize that this journey, it's not going to be comfortable. Jesus essentially turns around to this guy and says, I'm homeless. 
I don't know where my head is, is going to hit a pillow tonight. He was like, animals know where they're going to sleep, and, and I have no idea where I'm going to sleep. This isn't going to be a comfortable journey. And I, I sometimes think for me, I go, how much do I want my life with Jesus to be comfortable? How much do I want to live in a, in a kingdom of comfort? And then by focusing on comfort, it actually takes me away from living in the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus doesn't say to this guy, no, 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 don't follow me. He says, yeah, come and follow me, but, but know this. There's times when following me gets really uncomfortable. There's times when following me is going to call you to, to different parts of life, to different places of life. And like some of his disciples who are going to die for their faith. He says, this isn't going to be a comfortable journey. We pick up verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, and I have to say, these are some of the hardest words for me as a Christian. He replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but when I read those verses, there's something I just find really uncomfortable. I just have a real, something just sticks in my throat whenever I read that. Jesus, who's so loving and gracious and compassionate, and yet seems to just completely forget the script for a minute and seems to just say something completely disingenuous to this guy. And yet, actually, when we unpack what's going on here, there's something much more at stake. You see, back in Jesus' time, a funeral was a massive, massive deal. It was a couple of weeks in the planning. It was a lot of time. It was a lot of effort. It was a lot of money making sure that everything was right. And so we're kind of in one of two places. One, either this guy's dad is about to die, which begs the question why he would have left his dad's side to come and stand at the side of a road to see Jesus. Or two, this guy's dad is, is not died yet but is maybe older in years. And so this guy, he's not involved in the midst of, of all of this planning and busyness. And so I think that what's going on here is this guy kind of has a focus on the future. And he's going, if, if I don't respect my family, if I don't stick around here long enough, there's every possibility I'm going to lose out in my inheritance. There's every possibility that I'm going to get cut from the will. And so Jesus, I'll follow you, but first... Just let me get this little bit of security in my life. Just let me get to this point, and then I'm all yours. We can so easily think that at times, can't we? Just whenever I meet that perfect girl, things will be fine. Or, or just once, once I get through uni, Jesus, then, then I'm all yours. Just, just once I get promotion, just, just let me get that little bit higher up in the ladder, and then, of course, I'll talk to my colleagues about you. Just, just let me retire. Just let me get my feet up a little bit, and then, then I'll give all my time to the church. And so often we can kind of focus on, on having this security, this thing that we go, Jesus, once I've got to this point, then, then it's all you. And Jesus turns around and he says, no, no, no. He's like, this, this journey isn't going to be comfortable. This journey isn't going to provide all the security that the world has to offer. He's like, but it's going to be an adventure, so, so come and follow me. And then we have this third person that Jesus encounters. Verse 61, still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, uh, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. 
Now, this, this isn't an unknown thing to happen. Jesus goes along and, and calls someone, and, and the response is, let me go back and, and first say cheerio to mom and dad. Let me fill them in on, on what the plans are and all of that. We actually find that it happens in 1 Kings 19. Elijah is picking his successor, and he goes and he finds Elisha, and he runs up to him, and he kind of throws his cloak over him, and Elisha realizes, hang on, there's a calling on my life here. And Elisha turns to Elijah, and he says pretty much these exact same words, I'm ready, but, but let me go back. Let me say cheerio to my family. And Elijah says, yeah, no problem. And we're told in 1 Kings 19 that Elisha goes back and he explains to his family what's going on and he, he takes all of his livelihood, his plow, he takes all his cattle and all of those things. We're told that he slaughters the cattle and he sets fire to the plow and essentially has a massive barbecue with his family. And in that, what Elisha's saying is there's no plan B. There's no backup plan. There's no thing that I can fall back on here and go, well, if it doesn't work out, I've always got that. He says, no, it's, it's got to be all about the life that I'm called to. And I think Jesus, in his wisdom, knows that for this guy, if he goes back to his family, he's not going to come back to follow Jesus. There's no plan B. There's no backup plan. Jesus wants us to be people completely sold out for his kingdom. It's such a huge challenge for us. How often do we at times live uh, trapped and enslaved to our past? Things that have gone on before and we just find ourselves constantly wandering back. It just holds us back from living life in the fullness of what God has for us. How often do we keep falling back into those patterns of sin? that just restrict our growth as Christians, that distract us from the kingdom of God. The amazing thing is this, and I don't know where any of you are at with Jesus this morning. The amazing thing is this, just like with those three people, Jesus turns up and he says, I've got a cause greater than this world itself, and I want you to follow me. I want you to be part of it. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be comfortable. I can't guarantee you that it's going to bring you financial security or, or something even to fall back on as a plan B. But I want you to be part of this because this is the kingdom of God. I'll show you a short video clip. Serve God, love the end. Then sin's not the end. Live unbruised, we are friends. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry.
giddy thing. Oh, man, is a giddy thing. Oh, man, is a giddy thing. Betray you, dismay or enslave you And will set you free Be more like the man you were made to be There is a design and alignment to cry Of my heart to see The beauty of love as it was made about Jesus is that Jesus changes lives. That's the truth of it. That is the simple truth of it. None of the people who Jesus called on that journey with him were perfect, but he changes lives. He takes those things that that hold us back and he turns them into something that he could use. He takes our life and, and he transforms it. And as we think about today, as we think about Palm Sunday, 2,000 odd years ago, whenever people took these palm leaves and, and laid them down before the king as he rode on a donkey into a city, I guess the challenge for us on this Palm Sunday is what does it cost us to not just lay down palm leaves, but to lay down our lives, to say, Jesus, I want to let you in to all of my life. I don't want to hold any part of it back. I don't want that little bit of comfort. I don't want that little bit of security. I don't want to be attached to the past anymore. I want to live in freedom and I want to live in the fullness of what you have to offer me. I want to be about your kingdom. That for me is is why I love Jesus. That for me is why Easter is so significant and so important. As I say, I I don't know where everyone's at this morning. For some of us, we have maybe never given our lives to God. For some of us, we've maybe heard it time and time again, but we've just never taken that step. The words of Jesus that resonate with me the most are John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and life to the full. If you've never experienced that life or you've just that constant kind of sense that there's gotta be something more then. I believe that we can only find that in Jesus. And maybe for some of us, we've, we've held back or we've things that have been holding us back and Jesus just wants to step in and, and give us freedom. He wants to heal us. He wants to set us free to be people who live for the kingdom of God. The challenge for me at Easter is always, if it costs Jesus his life, 
where's the cost for me in living my life for him? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Uh, for this time of year, for this point in the calendar where we stop and we step back and we think about the cost. And we think about how you loved each and every one of us so much that you were prepared to give your son to die on a cross for each of us. God, something that we can never really truly wrap our minds around, the pain and the suffering that was there. But God, I thank you that you did it, that in his death that he could bring us life that in the resurrection, that he brought us life and life to the full. God, I pray against the, the barriers that hold us back or the boundaries that we've set up in our own hearts. God, I pray that you would just break through those today. God, that you would bring freedom into our lives. God, that you bring focus into our lives to live for your kingdom and to live lives for your glory. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. That's fantastic. Folks, I've been pondering things um, this, just this last week or so about life change. I was like thinking, you know, why is it, why is it some people's lives just really, really change and other people's lives just don't seem to sort of change? And it's kind of thinking, you know, in many ways, what are the ingredients? The ingredients, first of all, is Him. He, God, in us is the only person I think that really, truly changes a person from the inside out. And I think that here this morning, he is with us. His Holy Spirit is with us. We're going to break bread and, and share communion in a minute. But it's him. It's the life of Jesus through the death and the resurrection on the cross. But folks, that's the starting place. That's not the destination. That's the gateway. It's the beginning place a life change okay and kind of thinking now what else that brings change well each of us journeying life together in community in uh, a place called church is what helps bring about life change and that's like a second ingredient but the third ingredient is us not that we change ourselves let's never get there never go there Remember, we've said it time and time again. We, it's not us who changes us. It's not, oh, trying hard. I must try to be more like this and less like that. And all of those words that kind of came up on the brilliant video there. We, we can't change those things. But there is a part of us. There's a part of our will that we need to step forwards into what God can do for us. And that does, um, that does provoke a reaction and response in us. We're going to share uh, in communion. The, uh, the older children are, coming, are going to come down and join us uh, in a moment or two. And uh, parents, it's up to you. It's your choice whether you feel it's, it's okay and suitable for, for them to, to share in communion. But uh, a week before Jesus went to the cross... He has this amazing dinner with his 12 closest companions and in this room together. And I just love Jesus. He's so practical. He uses practical things and everyday things like bread and like wine. And he says this. He took bread and when he'd given thanks, 
to his father. He broke it and he takes it and he gives it to each of his 12 disciples. He says, take some of this bread, take and eat it. This is my body. And then after they've eaten or during it or part of the meal together, he takes a cup and takes, well, there'd be some wine in there. And um, he says this, he gives thanks. He says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It represents the body and the blood that was going to be, in a few days' time, shared and most horrific, horrific sacrifice for his 12 closest, but for the whole of humanity and mankind. And we're going to do that um, in a minute together. On my right, your left over here, we've gluten-free bread as well as bread. And uh, we've wine and we've Ribena kind of juice on both sides. And uh, just whenever you're ready, you just make your way up. And if you don't feel you want to, then that's absolutely fine as well. Uh, the worship guys are going to come first quickly. Would be really great. And if those who are giving it out could come really quickly, that would be super. And... Uh, Here come our fantastic wee rockets. Go find your mummies and daddies. It's like a treasure hunt, isn't it? This, this is like a, a practice for the Easter egg hunt rockets, isn't it? Go find your mummies and daddies. And folks, whenever you're ready, you just come and go for it.